Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions and interests shape our identity and our lives. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I am a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I also happen to be your host. This podcast is produced by Laura Studeris, and for this season, we've partnered up with Under the Radar magazine. If you like what you hear, you can hang out with us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at WNB, the podcast. And if you really, really like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We are under Why Not Both podcast. When you join our Patreon, you get a whole bunch of really cool behind the scenes stuff and you get to chat with us. And that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for your support. And I hope you enjoy our interviews. For this episode, we got to hang out with Nadia from Pussy Riot. She is an absolutely brilliant artist, and everything she touches is utterly magical. I'm quite the fan, and I hope that you enjoy our interview. Nadia, welcome to Why Not Both, and I'm immediately curious why you were talking to Stoya, because she's amazing. Oh, well, hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's um, I'm happy to be here. Um, and yeah, I just jumped off our um, live stream with Stoya. And um, I'm in the middle of uh, many releases uh, of new music and videos from Pussy Red. And um, I'm pairing every uh, music video release with a conversation with um, a person who is interesting to me and I think that they can uh, say something delightful and exciting about the topic that we're discussing in um, in the video or in the, mm-hmm. uh, in the song, right? So for example, uh, when we released a track, um, Toxic, um, that Dorian Electra features on, we spoke with uh, Dorian Electra, we had this, um, YouTube stream Mm -hmm. and yesterday we released uh, sexist uh, video and audio the track Um, and I mean surprisingly it is about sexism it is about um, this is about you know rape culture and um, consent importance of consent importance of boundaries so all of that um, I want I was looking for a person with who I can discuss it and um, I got to know Stoya um, a few months ago because we participated in the same book, Women's mm-hmm. Right to Pleasure. And uh, she, uh, she was uh, curating this uh, conversation with me and Alice Bag um, about, about our contribution to the book and just you know our activism and feminism in general. And she was like such a brilliant host of that conversation I totally fell in love with her as a you know, conversation partner and um so yeah she just naturally came to my mind and uh, we just spoke um about uh, ethical porn about queer porn about female directors of porn and OnlyFans how does it change the industry mm-hmm. and the important uh, she really loves on OnlyFans so if you listen to this podcast and interested in Stoya, go subscribe to Stoya's OnlyFans. Yeah. She says it's really, you know, um, liberating because it puts creative control in the hands of the creators. Oh my God. I just, I just got so excited. <laughs> I was like, one, I'm going to subscribe to Stoya's OnlyFans because I was literally saying to a friend yesterday that I miss seeing more of her content because I always really appreciated Stoya's particular take on pornography like I love that she's like yeah let's decentralize the male gaze and also make this enjoyable and exploratory and all the things that like I find interesting about it um and I was just saying I was like gosh I haven't seen anything from Stoya lately and now I know it's because I need to subscribe to her OnlyFans (laughs) I was like you solved the riddle for me (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And also, I feel like during pandemic times, it's actually um, m- much easier and safer for, for uh, creators to, to make content like on their own or with like, you know, roommates or like with person like, who they're, um, I don't know, with, they're close with, right? So they don't have yeah. to go to sets, they don't have to be involved in big production because it's, it's not safe right now um, because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And I feel like 
2020 and 2021, like until everyone will be vaccinated, um, OnlyFans will be um, the king of the game, the queen of the game. Um, and later, hopefully too, because, you know, from what I, um, what I understood from uh, Stoya's take on it, um, I got really excited about OnlyFans and what it does for the um, pornography industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because uh, she was also talking about how it makes a porn more diverse, and so you can see bigger diversity of bodies. Because um, actually, if even big studios, they see um, they see success of people with different body types, with mm-hmm. different uh, uh, skin color, and abilities, and they see that these performers are doing well. So um, just from the point, uh, just from economical perspective, they would want to include them more in mainstream porn. Yeah, and in that way, they're not tokenized. Like, spoiler alert, I'm a therapist when I'm not podcasting and music making. And I work with a nonprofit called Pineapple that provides, uh, basically they provide subsidized mental health care for people in the sex work industry. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of my clients are in the sex work industry. I have several associates who work with people in the industry as well because it's a really underserved population. So I was like, okay, how do I help out? (laughs) Um, And talking to my clients within the industry, it's been fascinating learning more about OnlyFans and about content creation in general, because it used to be that people that were outside of like a certain very narrow genre of person, like you might be like tokenized in mainstream porn where it's like you might have one or two releases that are based around this one niche interest, as opposed to just accepting that people actually are interested in more than just one genre. People want to see themselves reflected. People want to see diversity reflected. And so when people started creating on OnlyFans, there's, it's like, there's proof there now where you can say, well, see, like Mm -hmm. how popular Mm -hmm. people want to see this. Whereas people were fighting before being like, you shouldn't just have like one, (laughs) one release or like say, oh, it's a different, you know, only a few people are going to want that. We're not going to advertise for that. Um, that it's like, no, people want, people want everything. People are interested in so many things. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, that is so cool. And you mentioned the other person that was in the talk. You said, did you speak to Alice Bag? You said, uh, yeah, we spoke with Alice Bag, um, around two months ago it was a podcast um hosted by black book media and like in in collaboration with stoya and we spoke uh we spoke about a women's right to pleasure book that we um, all of us participated in oh my gosh now i have to check that out because she was actually one of my favorite guests i've ever had on this podcast like she was just like so kind and gentle and ferocious at the same time and yeah. I loved her work ethos. <laughs> like, oh, oh, that's same. same. It, it, it was like it was really incredible conversation, and uh, yeah, they're both so articulated and amazing and inspiring. Oh my gosh, where where can we hear these conversations? Because I love the idea that you had of pairing a conversation with the art that you're releasing. Because like it's that whole personal is political, and also your creations are activism. And I was like, oh, that's a genius pairing. Well done. Where do we hear these? <laughs> like... Thank you. Um, well, it, it's, uh, it, it leaves on Pussy Riot YouTube channel. And uh, if you type Pussy Riot in um, search window of YouTube, uh, mm-hmm. you will find the channel and, you know, subscribe to it and push on notifications, um, like, comment, everything that helps uh, yes. promoting the content will be highly appreciated because we are independent creators. We're not backed by any corporation, like no labels involved. Um, and so like, we're no um, one-to-one with our audience. So mm-hmm. you know, we're doing our best to be connected with our audience uh, through social media that are not perfect, but you know, this is the tool that we have these days. Yes. Yes. And especially like I was watching the video for Toxic and now I'm really curious to watch the interview that you had with Dorian because like it was a really, to me at least, it was fascinating watching it because it had all of this like almost like sweet darkness about it, but then like all this jarring imagery and it really did get across for me as the viewer like a toxic dynamic in that there is something that has to be alluring and attractive about it, but it's dark. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in it if it was all dark. Like if someone just approached you being like, hello, our relationship's going to be terrible. You'd be like, bye. 
<laughs> um, I thought the video captured that really well. And I guess like, what has it been like putting something out that is personal in that way? Like, have you had conversations with other listeners about it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you mean with listeners of the track? Yeah, yeah. Or other people that had had similar experiences because I think, oh, people, yeah. yeah. Well, my sister, um, Palina, uh, who's 20 right now, she told me that um, she actually found herself in this video, but, um, you know, she never, like, she's a sister from uh, just from another mother, so we were mm-hmm. not, uh, we didn't spend our upbringing together, so mm-hmm. that's why we're not, like, so close, but also we're sisters, so, like, we're with obviously are in touch as friends. So she didn't, never told me that she was in toxic relationships. And wow. I was like, wow, yeah, she, she just ended them not a, a while ago. Um, but um, no, she knew that she could talk with me about this or with uh, her friends, but she didn't uh, because that's the thing about toxic relationships. Like uh, that's the problem. You, you never can talk with anyone about it. Yeah. So my hope with this video was to um, to just... To, like, I was trying basically to reach people who are still in toxic relationships because I uh, went through them myself and mm-hmm. that's the reason why I made this video and the song. Uh, and I remember clearly that feeling. You feel like you're not seen. Uh, you, there is no one you can talk to because mm-hmm. like, everyone is under suspicion and, and you are under suspicion, all your thoughts, not just your uh, moves and not just your yeah, actual um, doings, but like even what you think is under mm-hmm. suspicion you're like the way you look at people um and that's terrifying but you, um there's you know um there is a moment of realization that no it, it cannot be like this and but it takes time to reach this moment and i was just hoping that somehow i can bring this moment close closer to those people who are going through uh, toxic relationships right now yeah, it's that moment where it's like all of a sudden like a switch flips and you can't, it's like you can't go back. Like once you realize what it is, it's like you can't unsee yeah. it. It's very, yeah, it's kind of surreal where like, and you're right, especially in abusive dynamics, like you do question your own perceptions and you do question your own thoughts, particularly because those relationships are often so isolating. Um mm-hmm. And so you're like, did that really happen? Like, was it really that bad? And then like, once you actually are on the other side of it, it's almost easier to see. And so I'm glad that you're speaking out about it. And I'm glad you made art about it because I think that people in some ways either brush it under the rug or like romanticize sometimes power dynamics like that. Like there's a lot Mm -hmm. of images, at least in Mm -hmm. Western pop culture that like, like I'll never forget like talking to teenage girls about Twilight. And they're like, I want someone like that. I was like, oh, you want an abusive stalker. That's what's romanticized in our culture. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, Yeah, that's weird. Um, I I think the more we talk about it, the more girls or not necessarily girls, um, anyone, they'll be like, they'll see signs of um, abuse from the very beginning. It'll just not get into those relationships and I remember um yeah just you know, growing up uh this kind of relationships they did romanticize it wasn't it's never attractive to me I, I didn't even know how I ended up in those but I have a theory that because um I identify myself as a strong person mm-hmm. strong woman feminist I I like to put on my shoulders more than I can take um, mm-hmm. And I like to feel responsible for other people. And that's part mm-hmm. of what makes me an activist. I, I, f- I want to help people. And, um, you know, people who are abusive, they're often hurt people. They're yes. um, sometimes they struggle with mental health issues. And I, I'm aware how difficult it is to go through some um, challenging mental health situation and so you don't want to be um basically you're just scared to break up with this person because they 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 really can hurt themselves like you see that they don't only hurt you but they they're hurting by themselves and um that's challenging you know like that's like you can't really talk with this person um you know you could you have to comfort them. You, you can't be mm-hmm. honest with them. And um, that's what happened with me. I was, I was trying to help this person and I was thinking oh, when he will become 
will help men he will be better we right. will have an honest integrational conversation and i'll ask him not to hurt me but now i can't because right. because he's like on the verge of um mental ba- breakdown yeah and you spoke to such an interesting and relevant point that a lot of times people have this narrative that like if you're strong you won't get into this dynamic but if anything it's people who are often incredibly strong that do because of exactly what you said that they want to help people they are so strong that they're like i've taken on my own stuff and i can help other people with theirs mm-hmm. um <laughs> and those are the people that um often people who are hurt and unfortunately you're right a lot of people who do act in abusive manners are people that have been hurt before and aren't able to deal with it and they express that hurt onto others um and they tend to actually gravitate towards people who are quite strong and who are capable of helping others like that's a dynamic i see a lot and so i think a lot of people feel shame that they're like why if i'm so strong and so good at helping others and all of those things like why was i in this dynamic and it's usually precisely because you're empathetic and strong yeah um and you know i don't have a recipe honestly i'm I, I wish I wish someone had maybe you like would it because um it, it was like I remember myself like I was like what can I do because I, I I if I leave him right now he's going to kill himself and yeah. that's what he told me because you know they blackmail you um in like they, they besides gaslighting and isolating for everyone um uh, they they blackmail you but it's not really it wasn't even rational blackmailing. I believed what he was saying. Right. Like I was like, there was a chance that he would would kill himself. And yeah. like, what, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, because then you're like, wait, would then I be responsible? And like, I've talked to so many people who have expressed that that they're like, I don't want to be responsible for someone harming themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And so if I leave, they'll harm themselves. And it's it's so hard to untangle because then you're like, wait, well, what's where's the boundary? Like, what's my stuff? And what's this other person's stuff? And how much am I responsible for? And it takes years usually to kind of like, like untangle from it. Yeah, for me to, um, um, I, I found myself on, on the, like, in the worst possible, uh, in, in, uh, I found myself in deep depression. So uh, I had to reach the absolute bottom to, um, say no to these relationships because I, I realized that it hurts me so much. So I'm not able to mm-hmm. give any, like other people. I'm not able to produce art. I'm not uh, even interested in activism anymore because I'm just struggling to survive. You know, when person is struggling, when, when your main goal is to survive, you it's it's not about <laughs> helping others. It's not right. a situation where you can help others. So I was like, okay, this is like absolutely damaging for. Um, from my personality, because my personality is my art and my activism. Yeah. The question is, like, can you actually, um, do you absolutely have to reach this bottom? Because I felt like I have to reach this bottom. But I think, um, I think the trick is, like, if you, uh, if you um, happen to end up in abusive relationships, how do you, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to reach that, um, you know, bottomless pit uh, to get out of them. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And having having more art about this and having people having frank conversations about this, I think will like, in a way, like help people step away from that abyss. Like when you're like, well, I have to hit the bottom of the well. Because <laughs> um, that is pretty common that you're like, well, I have to see where this goes. And usually it, it goes terribly, uh, dramatically and for quite a while. Um, but if you're like, oh, what if I don't have to do that? And I think the more yeah. presentations that people see and the more people see like, if you step away from that, you're going to have social support from people around you. There's art about this. There's other people that have your experience. Because I think that when people are kind of staring down into the hole being like, where does this go? Where, where am I going to fall? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know if other people will support them. Whereas like when you create art like this and when you put it out into the world they can see hey if you step away from that there's a lot of people over here like you're you're not alone (laughs) there's there's support um and so I remember when I was in this relationships I didn't even know how it's called uh well it was like a few years ago and um um I feel like the the whole conversation public like a conversation about toxic relationships went mainstream at least in Russia only a few years ago and mm-hmm. when I just started to be in those relationships I didn't even know I was thinking it's just 
my problem. And also, you know, your abuser makes everything to convince you that it is your problem. It is your fault. It's mm-hmm. like you're guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so like later when I started to read more and more about this uh, and see that the other people talking, I was like, oh, well, good to know. Yeah, yeah. Like recently, um, FK Twigs came out and mm-hmm. talked about her relationship with Shia LaBeouf. And I mean, I loved what she said in an interview because someone said to her, they asked her the question, why did you stay? And she said, I'm not going to answer that question. I would rather you ask, why did he do this? And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, thank you. Because it's not, it's not the fault of someone who is being abused that they stay. Like you said, like, there's a lot of reasons why you stay. And mainly it's because you've been coerced into believing that something terrible will happen usually to you or the other person. Um, yeah. Or like, why don't we ask, like, why do people abuse people in this way? Like, how do we, in a way, like, though we are obviously addressing the trauma of people who have been abused, how do we stop people from abusing people? Like, that's something I wonder a lot about, like, because I very infrequently see people in my practice coming in being like, oh, I was horrible to someone and I don't want to be horrible to people anymore. I usually see people coming in that are like actually there because of the actions of someone else. And they're like, how do I mend this trauma that someone else has inflicted? And like, there's a part of me that's like, not that I want to seek out people who have done bad things, but I'm like, if you've done something bad to someone or if you're acting in a way that's abusing people, like, wouldn't you want to learn how to not do that? Oh, yeah. Um, we had um, a, lots of these conversations with um, my feminist friends in, in Russia. Um, some of them are psychotherapists as well. And, um, you know, they, they have different opinions on um, if they are ready to work with um, actors of violence, as we call them. You know, mm-hmm. like we don't like we don't like to label um, to say that, oh, this is an abuser. Like they like to say, oh, this is a person who inflicted abuse. So like mm-hmm. he, he doesn't or she doesn't have to live as a slave till the rest of their lives. Yeah. And some of my friends um, say like, yeah, I want to establish this um, like special service or master class, whatever, like um, maybe free, um, free help to people who admit that they um, inflict harm to others and uh, they're ready to work with it. And some um, of my feminist friends, they're just like, fuck it. Like, I don't, yeah, <laughs> this is too <laughs> difficult for me. Like, cause it's like, it's a lot of work and you know, like it's a lot of, um, they, they, they're self-defensive in, um, yeah. in so many ways. So I honestly respect both opinions cause it's, um, utterly, it, it's about um, self-care um, uh, of each psychotherapist, right? If you yeah. choose to work with people who are abusive or, or you say, no, this is, uh, this can be damaging to me as well. Oh yeah. Like there are people that work with, um, in the U.S. it's like mandated therapy, like people who are court mandated to see therapists because of mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm either violence they've inflicted or a crime they've committed. And there are therapists that choose to work in that field. Um, However, I do sometimes wonder about that dynamic because if you're forced to go into therapy, I haven't experienced having a client that's been forced to go into therapy. I'm wondering like, does that affect your willingness to change as opposed to if you voluntarily go into it? Um, Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Like like if someone tells you, it's almost like when you're a kid and someone's like, you have to take a class, you're like, great. (laughs) whereas if you're like oh this is a really negative pattern and I completely agree like there are clients that I for my own sake like probably would not prefer to work with because there would be too much transference of emotion on my part like it would be it wouldn't be good work because it would be too difficult for me to keep my own emotions out of it and in a way I like to use my own emotions positively in therapy as opposed to me feeling like defensive or like I'm in danger or things like that, like that wouldn't be productive. Yeah, obviously. Um, you know, actually, I've just started to think right now about Soprano, a clan Sopranos, right? And um, I was thinking that actually, you know, the client acting out in the psychiatrist's office, uh, in psychotherapist's office was romanticized there and I've been liking that theory, but now as I'm thinking about it, I'm just like, yeah, the guy was a douche to his <laughs> psychotherapist and everyone is like celebrating him for this i was like nah <laughs> oh my 
my god I was like oh god don't get me started on like pop culture depictions of psychotherapy I'm always like oh this is a nightmare like the one show that I've got to say that I loved have you watched the show crazy ex-girlfriend no I didn't should I oh my gosh I love that show and it is one of the only like it's so funny because the whole show is based around like that trope that like people say oh she's my crazy ex-girlfriend to discount like any personal responsibility um and that's what the show is a joke on is that it's like that we should of course never call women that um but it's a study about this one character and it's her journey as she moves across the country kind of spur of the moment because she runs into an ex of hers and just it's her adventures that follow that I don't want to spoil it but the depictions of mental health in that show are so spot on. Like mm-hmm. none of the therapists do things that are like sketchy and weird. Like none of none of their client interactions are inappropriate. Like none of it is scandalized. Like especially the way they talk about certain diagnoses is like so wonderful and normalized. Um, and it just follows these characters as like different things happen and different mental health stuff comes up, but it's not one of those like, oh, no, for a serious talk on mental health. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to watch it. For the recommendation. Yeah. It also features lots of really, really hilarious musical numbers. So like, I'm a big fan. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I'll check it out. Yay. It very much fits into, I mean, I started this podcast based on the idea of like people who do multiple things that all kind of dovetail together. So of course I love that show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. How did you end up meeting, um, meeting Dorian Electra? I'd seen them on Instagram forever and just love everything they do. They are powerful. I met them in 2019 um, in Chicago. Don't even ask me what I was doing in Chicago. I just ended up in Chicago. And Dorian Electra ended up in Chicago as well. And we, um, um, the thing that connected us was, uh, was clitoris because someone was making a documentary about clitoris. And, uh, and I think the producers of the show, um, they connected us. They were like, yeah, it seems like you guys will, um, you know, like each other. So Amazing. we connected because of clitoris. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good connection. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and we are best friends ever since. <laughs> oh, that's such a good origin story. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. That's so funny. (laughs) It's like, so then this person was like, okay, so clitoris, you two, go. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, literally. And then um, we toured together. Um, We, um, yeah, we we performed in a lot of American cities together and um, in Paris as well. Um, Dorian is, the best community organizer uh, ever seen in my life. I mm-hmm. learned so much from them about, um, you know, importance of collaboration, um, you know, collective creation of piece of art. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and, and we talked on, you know, at our talk with Dorian um, that, you know, came out a week ago about, you know, this um, idea of creative genius that prevents so many creative people from collaborating and actually getting like um, fully enjoying collaborating and I always knew that but it's like one thing to know and another thing learn uh, with your experience and see how it works for other people because I'm coming from the uh, from the art movement so I know about collaboration like an importance of it but seeing Dorian making it with such joy because for me it was like you know like 10 years ago, sometimes I would feel like, oh, you know, like they're changing lyrics of my song. Like, like how dare they? This is my genius <laughs> input. Like, how they, they're That's mine. Like, and I would be like, you know, smiling and be like, yeah, yeah, sure, you can change the deck. But inside me, I was just like curious, like, how? Uh-huh. Like, it's not the case anymore um you know I I just got over it but it took me a while and now like I'm glad that I can talk about these negative emotions that I used to experience sometimes when I would collaborate collaborate 
um, yeah, and Dorian was one of those people who actually showed me like real true joy of collaboration. So now mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, if I don't like people to change something, I'm just like being upfront. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm basically I'm not keeping anything for myself. I'll be like, you know, I'm not comfortable with you changing these lyrics because it's really important for me. Um, you know, I'm learning as I'm growing about importance of setting boundaries, about yeah. talking what you, uh, you know, think about. Don't, don't never keep bad emotions for yourself because it will hurt you in the end of the story and your relationships with people. So yeah, thanks, Dorian, because uh, they were one of my gurus on this path. <gasps> and they say the same thing about me. So it's it feels like it's mutual. Aww. I'm like, now I want to interview Dorian. <laughs> oh, you should. <laughs> I was like, they sound great. And yeah, like what you said struck me where it's like, it sounds like now you feel more secure with the people too that you're collaborating with because it is really, it's hard sometimes to be honest when you're like, yes, I want to keep this versus nah, no, it's cool. I like your idea on that. And that's kind of the key to collaboration is feeling secure enough to know like which parts of this are you like, yeah, yeah, that part I would be cool with altering and which parts you're like, and sometimes those parts are best saved for like your own songs. Like at least when I'm collaborating with people, it's like, if there's something that I really, really am very attached to, I'm like, maybe this is actually just like a me song, this bit. And like, we'll just keep that out of it. That's that's maybe an idea for like a me thing later. Let's like address other stuff. <laughs> like... Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, yeah, it, it's good to it's good to know that you can put things in in different boxes, because um, as um, a young creator, when I was twenty, um, I was. Um, treating every piece of art that I'm creating with my collaborators as the last one, literally. Yes. I was thinking like I have to put like all my thoughts, like this is so important. If it's not going to be um, said in this song or in this video, it, it's fucking end of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, it will never mm -hmm. be said again. <laughs> and so I would argue, and, and now like, absolutely, as you just said, like, you know, if, if this thought is not going to appear in this song, this is not the end of the world. Like, guess what? Tomorrow you can write another song. Just <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> put it over there. Like just Frankenstein songs together. It's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh gosh. When you were talking about Dorian, <laughs> imagine like a song that was made of like all these like random bits of songs. And in a way, that's actually what I like about uh, Dylan Brady's production. Like that pinged in my brain too, that I was like, huh actually matches his ethos on that um yeah 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 uh, well if you will take a look at like you know english trans translation of lyrics of early pussy riot songs 2011 2012 this is that because um sometimes uh, 10 people would participate in creating lyrics of the song that has three verses and one chorus and Ooh. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> You're like, it's like a collage. It's a collage of ideas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, like that game when you just, um, when you fold the paper and answer each, each, each of you answers the question about yes. the story. Yes. Right. So that's early push right songs. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that, by the way, it's grown into a collective. And like you were talking about with with Dorian, with community building, because I remember when Pussy Riot first came out that everyone was like, well, who's in Pussy Riot? And what I found so intriguing, it's like, well, who isn't now? Like, what's so cool about it? <laughs> I was like, it's very, it's inclusive in a really fascinating way. And that to me, like, I at least, I was like, oh, that's so cool. Um, I guess like, what did Dorian show you that kind of informed what you're doing now and like is that still the ethos of it now where you're like yep it's like a snowball just like join in um uh, pussy right is um is like a snowball it's like um open source program anyone can write their own um, code in it um and we have different uh department i don't know like just like, mm -hmm. you know actors all around the world they're taking um initiative um to create something like, like literally something as pussy red 
and sometimes it's media project, sometimes it's a theatrical piece. Um, music, uh, what else? A prison reform initiative, mm-hmm. pretty much everything. So yeah, who isn't in Pussy Red? <laughs> and um, even though I'm a co-founder of the movement, I have no right to say, um, oh, you're excluded from, from the movement. You are not part because I don't like what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, even if you are a dick to me, uh, it's like <laughs> you are allowed to be a dick to me. You still can be part of the whole thing. Um, but, you know, because everyone is um, really advanced in ethics, um, they, they, in, in Pussy Red, I feel like it's just attracting people who are nice. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't attract dicks and douches and assholes. So we never had actually problems uh, with being like, oh, who gets to say what? Yeah. Who gets to do what? It's just organically works. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone being like, you know what I want to be? A dick who's an activist. <laughs> <laughs> I hate people. I want to help them. <laughs> like, I'm like, no, that doesn't usually that's not usually how that goes <laughs> yeah well with rare exceptions I, I I can't think of a couple of people but um they are males and um yeah I, I feel like like when it comes to female activists and queer activists it's like it almost always they're they're fun and ethical and and, and nice yeah yeah <laughs> I, I was gonna say there was uh, I was talking to a friend of mine of like he's a wonderful activist um but he doesn't list it on like any of his profiles and like he doesn't he's not very like public about it like a lot of his activism is like reporting on things and stuff like that um and I I did point that out to him I was like it's actually kind of nice that you don't mention it very much you just do the mm-hmm. And as he aptly pointed out, he's like, yeah, no one really needs another like 20 something white dude to be out here being like, I'm an activist. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't need accolades for it. Like, I don't, that just is creepy. He's like, usually that just would be really (laughs) off-putting. I was like, yes, that's very true. That is very, very true. (laughs) This is really nice of him. (laughs) <laughs> that he yeah. not like you know he knows it yeah I, mean, I I think like everyone should they you know do whatever they feel like but I I totally respect this position um this sounds really great to me yeah he uses I think this is pretty smart of him he uses the fact that he's like he's tall he's white he's like in his 20s to gain access to things because the, that's the kind of person that people give access to so mm-hmm. it's like he, he uses that in essence to be able to cover different things because he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm aware that if I didn't look the way I did, I probably wouldn't be able to get some of the stories that I do. Um, but he's like, I'm not going to advertise that because then I wouldn't get those stories. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, oh, that's so true. <laughs> like, it's like, I like that you're like a secret agent white dude. <laughs> like, yeah, this is cool. This requires some planning in advance. I'm, uh-huh. I'm not really, I'm big on that skill. No, yeah. this is not, but unfortunately, no, I'm, I'm too in this moment. Um, impulsive, I guess. I really follow my uh, emotions when it comes to activism. I really trust them. I call it activist intuition. So it's really difficult for me to be a subtle or uh, plan an event. I'm just loud. <laughs> well, I think you need kind of like, I don't know, my friends and I were discussing particularly over the summer when there was so much activism going on in the States. And like, now it's more kind of, I guess, like, I would describe it as I was thinking about this yesterday, it's more incorporated into what I would describe as my daily life where it's like, there's a certain amount of my income that I save and spend every month on like the different nonprofits that I would like to donate to. I check Mm -hmm. different accounts to see like what action items I can do. Like, and it's just part of my routine now. Um, But like, we were talking about how you need like the different temperaments almost for activist work. Like you need someone who's gonna like rush in impulsively like a tank. And then you need the person that's like helping you on Google maps to tell you like where the cop cars are. And then you need the person that's here, like have some water bottles and money. And it's like, you need kind of all of those to get it done. Cause it can't be all of of one kind. 
like because your kind is needed so that that way like we know where to go (laughs) (laughs) and this is incredibly important you know work that you just mentioned and um i celebrate those people who are are making this kind of work and they can know together um you know in accordance with each other we will definitely um achieve much bigger changes because like uh, if everyone will just be loud and posting provocative videos on youtube we're we're not going to go far but (laughs) organizational work quiet work like work in the shadow like where nobody knows it's it's so important and um you know i personally celebrate it even more because you know i get adrenaline rush from people liking my videos and being like oh yeah like she's so cool but they don't and um yeah i respect and value your work so much guys if you and girls if you do it yes yes and like and those of us who are I was like I don't I don't know if I'm more in the shadows I guess I'm kind of in the middle um however it's so funny this is gonna sound so like oh my god I'm a girl raised in LA I was like I'm not great in crowds I just kind of freeze (laughs) (laughs) my reaction at protests is I just kind of stand there and I'm just like wait what Hmm? what's going on there's a lot going on (laughs) like so I'm like I'm kind of useless in that situation I'm like why why would we make me do that that's not how Mm -hmm. I'm best used (laughs) so I'm like oh no I'm way more of the sort that's like who can I call and yell at like who do I need to yell at on the phone where do where do I need to donate like tell me those what videos can I share so that people know what's going on um because I love like when I was reading about particularly this video for toxic I'm like I love when I get to share media like that to be like here's what's up here you go like (laughs) I love when stuff is out there so that way if I'm talking to someone about like whether it's a client or a friend or another activist whoever that way I can be like here's this amazing media here you go Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's more visceral than if you try and explain it to someone with words like that's I think at least like the power of activist art is that it touches you in a visceral way that like an academic piece wouldn't I love to describe with words as well, though, too. Um, I'm a such a nerd. I'm such a nerd when it comes to describing my art. Uh, what is it? I spend some time making art, and then I spend uh, approximately the same amount of time on <laughs> describing it in details. Um, yeah, so it's it's a, like pretty much nightmare to work with me on. Because um, I've been trying to work with um, you know a lot of people from entertainment industry, and uh, it didn't work not because they were bad or I was bad, but it's just like we're pretty different. And so, I work with uh, my publicist Inge Colson, uh, with who we've been in touch uh, for since since 2012, and because oh she's an activist, I think she just gets it. But you know some some many people like managers I was trying to work with and distributors. Um, they're just like freaking out because like they get this um, Google Doc that was ten pages of <laughs> of me describing in details my art and like all the details and meaning and like here's like I referred to this mm-hmm. and they're like fuck like that's not what we asked you for like we asked you for <laughs> just one sentence of being like oh I'm so happy with releasing this and and this fun like I'm not, I'm not like honest it sounds like I'm making fun of those people who are saying like I'm happy with releasing my song that's valid I mean like yeah if you want to say it that's cool but I'm not that person right you're like I have a different different vibe (laughs) (laughs) well and also because your work is activism that's the thing is like I like to share work like yours because for people like, for instance, I love to read the 10 page explanation um, (laughs) as evident by like this entire podcast. I'm just like, please send me the 20 page annotated information. Um, (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that there's someone who wants to read it. (laughs) I was like, that's, that's very me. Um, I, I get really deeply nerdy about the things I like, but I know that like, if I'm sharing it with someone who might like not be deeply nerdy about it or like maybe not react to art in that way I like to be able to share things that have like that emotive quality so at the very least they can capture their attention in that way um so that that way like once you kind of like get someone emotionally invested then you can very slowly be like would you like to see maybe like page one of my thesis (laughs) (laughs) it's like you got to get them in somehow unless unless they're like 
like us that would just happily be like, oh yeah, I'd love to read that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I post what I post and just take an after a conversation with Stoya posted on Twitter, um, like a preview of our conversation being like, oh, yeah, go here, check out this one hour long conversation. Um, which was like honestly pretty nerdy but the quote I chose to attract people's attention is Stoya's a phrase would you like to ejaculate today uh, would you like to ejaculate today and they always say yes um, so I just knew it's going to attract more eyeballs <laughs> <laughs> oh I love her I I literally I got that book of her essays a while ago I bought a whole bunch of books this last year because I love to read anyway. And I was just like, well, as long as I'm in my house, I have yeah. a great excuse to just read as much as I like, because sometimes I wouldn't read as much because I would feel guilty and be like, oh, I should go out and see this person. I should go do this thing. And I was like, I have, I have an excuse to read all the books. <laughs> so hers was one of them. And so, yeah, it's on, it's actually on my nightstand. And I just realized like visualizing my nightstand, it's on top of the book, Pleasure Activism, which I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that's relevant. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> if you get the chance, I would highly recommend that book as well. It's also a collection of like essays and interviews. Um, all about I'm writing it down. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it does. It centers around like our experience of our bodies. And then in a way, like that's been one of the main ways to oppress people is to make pleasure this rarefied thing that we don't actually deserve and that is very tightly controlled. And so a lot of the book really goes into like that reclaiming our pleasure and reclaiming our experience of ourself is actually extremely empowering. This is extremely important. Um, and I'm learning all my life how to uh, get back pleasure because um, I, I feel like maybe it's uh, also a part of Russian culture as well like we are um, well at least when I was growing up you were not supposed to rest or you were supposed to basically just work work <laughs> and then work maybe sometimes study occasionally and then work again because like, I was just talking with my friend yesterday and I uh, remember that my stepdad quite dearly love he just he told me like you know like there is not there is no such thing as, as rest like you just change one work with another type of work and that's how you rest <laughs> and, and the person I was talking to he uh he's from Argentina and he was like what like I mean like <laughs> he's like are you, you know, <laughs> It's the opposite. I mean, at least he says it's the opposite. He's like, you know, like our our culture is more about pleasure. It's more about rest. It's more about like, you know, yeah, human interaction and taking pleasure from it. Um, I'm like, I, I don't know how accurate I am because I'm not from there, but that, at least that's what he told me. Um, yeah, and Russians are just like, you know, we have to be serious. We have to like, we love to suffer or at least uh, talk about our suffers, uh, sufferings <laughs> and problems. <laughs> And they love to complain. So yeah. Oh, it was an interesting journey for me to learn how to um, find pleasure. Yeah. Like, that's so funny that you say that in that particular way, because my family, like, I've never actually been to Russia. My parents went to Russia. Gosh, when was that? It was maybe like 15 years ago they visited Russia. Um, but like lineage wise, my family does trace back to Russia. Um, but I was raised here. And mm -hmm. really funny because even within my family culture and like my family, I was raised Jewish, like it was very similar in that like work and education were so emphasized that it's mm -hmm. like the very idea of like leisure time was kind of <laughs> <Yes>. confusing. <laughs> like, oh yeah. 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 Like time where you don't do things. Like I was really unclear on the concept for a long time and like, similarly where it's like when you're in your quote relaxing time that's when you do like the work and the projects that you weren't doing during the other time yes. <laughs> <laughs> um so when people are like well didn't you just like relax or something and it's like I, I've had to have people kind of almost teach me like what that means Mm -hmm. same, <laughs> same. I mean we would go to things that were enjoyable like we we would go to like museums and we would go see music like we would go to things but there was there was kind of a purpose behind the things 
Like it was like Absolutely. to learn yeah. something. Oh, don't even let me start on this. <laughs> I, I'm struggling with this. Like up to this day, I, I just can't. It's it's almost impossible for me. It's just like it's not, um, you know, good motivation enough in my um, a system of values to go somewhere just because of uh, I'll have fun. But I know with my brain that it's, it, it will be good for me and it will be good for my work eventually. But because I was raised um, <laughs> like with, with like value, with, I, w- I was raised with only one value, work. It's <laughs> 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 really, really difficult to rewire myself. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Like one of my friends taught me, I kid you not, she taught me how to quote, take a relaxing bath because one time she said to me she's just like why don't you just like relax in the bath and I was like what she's like no when you like sit in the bathtub and space out and I was like I don't what like well (laughs) I listen to audiobooks (laughs) yeah exactly I was just want me to do what like even as a kid I remember I had like bath toys that I could play with and like my dad would like hang out with me and we would talk the whole time like which was fascinating my dad's a fascinating person so I loved like that my dad was in charge of bath time because like we'd always just talk about interesting stuff but it was never like like unless like there were a few times that like my dad was supposed to be like giving me a bath and he like low-key fell asleep um those were the (laughs) like quiet times where I was like I'm just (laughs) chilling My poor dad, he was working full time. And so like no shade on him for falling asleep. Like that's fine. I would have fallen asleep too if I were potty training and, you know, bathing a child after I'd been at work all day. Um, But like those were the only times. And so the way she taught me was that like, she made this really wonderful bath salt for me, but she's like, I'm going to fill it with an intention. And I want you to think about this intention while you're sitting in the bath. So I was like, oh, that I can do. That's an assignment. You're making progress. Yeah. So I recommend. I'm proud of you. It's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> baby steps, baby steps. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember I was talking to a person who was my therapist at the time, and uh, I was describing him my life. And he was like, okay, what about this? Uh, make this thing. Just sit on the chair or wherever you want to sit and do nothing for an hour do nothing and I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't an hour <laughs> and I, okay now I was like can I meditate at least he was like no no what? you don't you don't do anything like no goal just sit <laughs> oh my god that I was like I thought he was gonna say like 10 minutes and I was like oh that's tough and then I was like an hour <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow that's like upper level doing nothing (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh that yeah they have the whole community um and they meet each other and he's part of this community and meet each other and they do nothing for for an hour sitting on chairs um yeah it was it was undoable for me but now as I'm talking about this it, it sounds actually an, as an interesting challenge because, you know, if I was able to spend, like, survive two years in jail, it means yeah. that I probably can survive one hour of doing nothing sitting on a chair. Yes. Yes. I was like, you've already run the marathon there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, now this is just going to be more like a walk around the block. I mean, it feels like, I mean, it, it, it seems like it, but it's not. It's not, you know, it's like <laughs> challenges, they do not, um, I don't know, they just don't make you a superhero. They don't. <laughs> you never turn into a superhero unless you are an actor in a Hollywood movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is very valuable for people to hear from fellow creatives, particularly, that there's no point at which you're like, I'm done. I've made it. No, like there's, there's no. no end point. You're not like, ta-da! <laughs> like... No, I mean, unless you're Birch Nirvana and, um, and um, yeah, I, I, I mean, like, maybe rarely, right? Like, if you're, if you're a monk and you dedicate your life to this, um, maybe this is reachable, but I, I feel like for, for others, it always will be, you know, like, we've reached something and we lose it. I remember when I was in prison, I was... Um, 
actually scared. I, I, I clearly remember at some point when I would get to this, um, I, I was having like mm-hmm, revelations about things that we talk about right now, how to sit and do nothing, how to meditate, how to think really deeply about one thing and don't get distracted by anything because prison is like um, a um, monastery in this sense. Mm. I mean, it's not like that in many other senses Mm. because it's a terrible place, but you don't have mobile phones and you don't have, like sometimes you don't have even books to read, so you're just forced to be there and concentrate on your thoughts so I, I, I became really um I, I was capable of really uh deep introspecting when I was in prison and I, I remember I was able to build the whole palaces the whole castles with my thoughts and uh, and now I and now I came back when I'm I'm a baby. I have attention deficit (laughs) disorder. I mean, like, it's not, I'm not diagnosed, but like, as everyone else in our culture, we're, you know, predisposed to this because we're exposed to so many, um, you know, stressors. Instagram, Facebook, email. (laughs) So, yeah, I I came back. Yeah, I I was there. I was there. I was almost like Buddha in prison, but no. (laughs) I'm back. (laughs) That's a fascinating perspective because yeah, like obviously prison is horrible in that like so much of your agency is taken away, but in another way, like you're describing, it's almost like regimented in a way that like there's nowhere else to turn but your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's like, because I mean, there are people that essentially put themselves like in monasteries or go on retreats voluntarily that are like that. But of course, like that was not what you wanted like this was yet again it kind of goes back to what we're talking about where it's like if it's against your will like what part of that is like you're like oh I'm resistant to it but in another way it sounds like you kind of leaned into that and I'm like that's really powerful to be able to know that your mind can do that well to me uh it was a mechanism of self-protection yeah because I was just trying to find good sides and um you know interpreted um I'll make an interpretation for myself so it's not just negative yeah and I remember every day I would wake up and I would uh, ask myself a question how how would I make this day meaningful to me and because you know generally we tend to think about those times that people spent in jail as time that were uh, was taken away from them mm-hmm. and I knew about this and I knew that my government probably has ha- have the goal to to make this terrible thing with me to just you know steal my years of my life and in the mm-hmm. beginning I thought I'm going to be in jail up to seven years so it was like <laughs> pretty wow. long time I was about to um get released um so I, I ended up in jail when I was 22 and if I would I was about to spend seven years then I would be I, I would be released when I was 29 yeah and now I'm 31 so I was I was like trying to prepare myself for this and I um yeah I was just um I made I made a promise to myself that I will make this time valuable I will learn first of all about prison conditions as much as I can so I would approach the whole thing as a scientist making Mm -hmm. a case study so I'm here for a reason so this is one thing another thing is work on your um, relationships with yourself because this is a good place to do it right Mm -hmm. because you're just sitting doing nothing then later um, after I was convicted it became much more difficult because I was moved to penal colony, which is basically a labor camp. Wow. And you have to work there. I was producing police uniforms. So like all my plan went to shit because yeah. uh, it was impossible to focus on myself. It, took, yeah. it was just like fucking torture. So that part is not enjoyable at all. But the time when I had to just be in a cell uh, with one another person, it was fine. I mean, it was like really... <laughs> not what I wanted but right what you said is so striking like have you read um have you read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning I read parts of it not the whole thing but I'm familiar with what he says in the book yeah that that it sounds like that's what you did is that you chose to make the situation meaningful and there's a part in the book where it's like he even describes where it kind of like for him at least like went dark for a while like in losing his meaning and that that sounds like 
in like the penal colony that sounds very similar mm-hmm. to it. like there are certain things that essentially will rob people of meaning that like you don't even have the capacity at that point to like actually delve into yourself um and that that actually sounds more harmful than just the isolation of being imprisoned um like having not just like your agency and space and connection taken away but then being forced to focus on something else like that sounds even worse because then it's yeah. really hard to ascribe meaning to that there is no there is no meaning you just you, you create products uh for corrupted prison wardens to sell and get money for them and their families that's yep. that's the only one meaning yeah uh, but then i was like bitch i'm gonna i have to find meaning here as well so that's why i went on hunger strike and i wrote this prison letter uh, a letter from my prison about conditions um that i saw um you know terrible labor conditions um no medicine um you know people being treated um like I don't know, it was violence, like mm-hmm. with, with really physical violence. And um, yeah, I, I posted this letter. I mean, not me because I was in penal colony, but right. my friends posted this letter and it went around the world and it actually shook Russian prison system um, really hard. So they had to uh, open a criminal case on my prison warden. And now he's under criminal investigation right now. Wow. He's facing a couple of years in jail himself. So, um, you know, it's like, it's always like, <laughs> push and pull like sometimes you feel like okay there is no meaning here like like nothing can be done and then next day you wake up and you speak with your friend in jail because you can make friends everywhere right mm-hmm. so i have friends in jail i enjoy them and their company and you know my friend would be like no like you know you can fight them <laughs> <laughs> well and that's that's ingenious. I love that you're just like, all right, all right, you tried to take my meaning away. I'm going to find a different one. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I respect that so much. I'm just like, because I think people do, unless you're put in that situation, people sometimes are like, oh, well, what would I do if I were in that situation? And you don't know unless you're there. Like, I don't know how I would react to that situation. Um, but, but I you know what? how you um, after this experience uh, and after all these extremely highs, extreme highs and extreme lows that I experienced when I was in prison, I think I encountered like some sort of PTSD that people encounter after participating in wars, right? Because mm-hmm. like, I, I, like, there should be a special name for it. I just didn't know it. But, you know, like everything is so part of, uh, so full of meaning. It feels yourself so heroic. Like you... Um, you have like everything is just black and white you are this hero of the light that fights with evil and then you get out of there you get out of prison you get out of the um you know the war of the country yeah yeah you end up in normal life and you're just like i don't really know how to deal with this anymore because i i'm not accustomed to it like you know my emotions and my my reactions are just so different and i I ended up in being so depressed for a couple of years after I was released from jail just because I wasn't accustomed to normal life. And, yeah. you know, even now, sometimes I just don't find, you know, I, 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 I'm definitely changed forever by, by my experience. So it, it made me um, a little bit unfit for normal life. Yeah, well, when you take someone and put them in such an extreme situation... And especially you make that extreme situation last for years. That will, like, I'm very curious what will happen, particularly after this pandemic, Um, like what society will look like. In a way, it's like Mm -hmm. we've put people in extreme conditions for an amount of time. Uh, It's well beyond. I mean, humans usually can deal with a crisis for about three to four weeks is usually our capacity. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of loop to weird is like, I'm like, it's a clinical term. Um, it's like, we just, we just go to a weird place. Um, and so that's true. Cause then like when you come back and in a way it's like when you come back from something like prison or from a war or something like that, that's such a heightened situation for so long. And that's not how things usually are. Of course, mm-hmm. you're going to be reacting differently. And like, that's why I'm curious what people are going to do after this. Like we've been in a very heightened situation for about a year now in varying degrees. And I'm like, how will people react when danger has decreased? Like, I don't think we can stay at this danger level forever. I don't think that's feasible given the history of how pandemics work, but it's Mm -hmm. like, 
But yeah, it's that feeling where afterwards, like people think that once you quote, get out that you're like elated and you want to engage with things. But if anything, sometimes we have the converse reaction that you're like, yeah. well, what, what happens now? I spent so much energy on this and now this thing has like vanished. Like what I'm yes. just ended. <laughs> like, uh, 100%. And um, now you made me think that maybe because of, because of my prison experience, um, sometimes finding myself in this like really deeply troubling feeling of that I'm afraid of the end of pandemic because I already experienced something like that, right? Yeah. So like I will have to <laughs> I'll have to adjust to normal life again. Like, yeah, like again. <laughs> like again because you know i'm thinking like okay i was like like one a year ago more than a year ago i knew how to interact with a lot of people i knew how to tour and now like i'm i i'm supposed to be happy that it's all coming back after everyone will be vaccinated but it makes me anxious for whatever reason Mm -hmm. like i've been talking to people about this that like i feel very grateful that as a mental health care worker like i'm vaccinated and obviously when i do on rare occasion i just realized i was like i haven't even left my house since last friday i need to run errands after this and i was like oh my god i'm, I'm gonna leave the house um but like, <laughs> an event um but like even when i go out obviously it's like i still wear my mask i maintain distance i'm not inside with people I'm like, I actually sometimes take great comfort in not leaving. Not in that I think mm-hmm. that's my world a scary part, but I like not having the pressure to yeah. do things that I don't want to. Um, and I'm like, well, I guess this is going to come with a lot of good and a lot of weird. <laughs> yeah, well, ultimately, um, you know, just we we, we got to do our best to... Um, cherish our mental health so we will be able to meet every new situation with lots of strengths yes yes oh I was like that's that's the perfect note to end on I was like <laughs> what wisdom would you would impart I was like there it is you imparted the wisdom <laughs> <laughs> oh it's been such a pleasure talking to you and I really appreciate how generous you've been with your time um, of course, it was um, incredibly interesting to talk to you. And um, yeah, thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode. Thank you.